Welcome to the November 22nd sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71, and the sermon is entitled, The Discouraged Savior, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are going to continue on in a sermon series through the Gospel of John. Take your Bible out, put it in your lap, turn to chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. I want you to know that many of us see the Gospels as more of the pleasure reading of the Bible uh, with consideration to uh, the Old Testament and some of the things that we see there. But I want you to know that as we have studied the Gospel of John, this is a very deep book, and chapter 6 is a very deep chapter. We are going to finish chapter 6 today. It is by far the longest chapter of the Gospel, 71 verses, and we're going to finish that uh, chapter today. Remember that the Gospel of John is written by the old disciple John, the longest lived of the 12 disciples. God gave him an amazing life, probably into his 90s, which was quite unusual for this day and this age. Uh, and yet, God blessed John. God blessed John to walk with his son, Jesus Christ, as a disciple for three years in ministry. After that ministry was concluded through the cross and the empty tomb and Christ's ascension, about 50 years went by. And yet, God moved on John's heart to write the biography of his son Jesus, giving us the high points of his life. John himself said, if I wrote down everything that was to be written, the world could not contain the books. I'm giving you the highlights of Jesus' life. So we see also as John writes this gospel, it is a witnessing tool. He wants to bring the world to Christ through this gospel, and it stands true still today. Now, chapter 6. The longest chapter in the Gospel of John. Let me cover just the highlights so I can get us where we need to be today as we finish this chapter. It begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000. 5,000 men and a numbered number of children and women as he feeds this large group of people. Remember that he does so miraculously with two fish and five loaves, little loaves of bread. Then also, at the end of that day, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, he retreats to a mountain to be with his Father alone. The disciples do something exactly the opposite. They go to the seashore, and they go to their boat. They are going to sail in the night across the Sea of Galilee, about eight miles, going to the other side to dock in Capernaum. However, in that night... As they're sailing across, about halfway across, a storm of huge proportion comes to them. And it scares these uh, seasoned fishermen and sailors, and they are fearful of their life. And in the dark, someone is coming to them. Jesus walks to them on the water of the storm, and he tells them, Do not be afraid. I am with you. That's true for every one of us when we go through our own personal storms. He is with us, and we do not have to be afraid. Of course, you know that the storm calms, and they immediately dock in Capernaum. The Lord Jesus Christ not only has control of the storm, He has control of time. And they immediately don't, have, they don't sail four more miles. They end up in the dock of Capernaum that moment. The next day... Jesus and his disciples then are across the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. 
And many, many within that crowd of the 5,000 have now followed them across the sea. And the next day, all of them are there in Capernaum, in the city of Capernaum, which really is home base to Jesus' ministry. But we see them following Jesus across the sea. Why? Because Scripture tells us that people seek and are seeking for Jesus. It was true 2,000 years ago. It is true today. You are surrounded by people who need Jesus. And in some way, they are seeking for Him. When they seek happiness, when they seek peace, when they seek contentment, they're seeking for Jesus because He is the source and the only source of eternal life and those things we need in our lives. So as we ended last week, we see this crowd there in Capernaum following Jesus the day before, he had fed them on physical food. He'd fed them on fish and bread. But this next day, he's teaching them about the eternal bread of life. So he's balancing two kinds of feedings. The first day is a physical feeding. The second day in Capernaum, he's talking about an eternal bread that you need for eternal life. But as he talks to this crowd at the synagogue at Capernaum, he says, this to the crowd. He says, you need to eat of my body and you need to drink of my blood in order to have this eternal bread of life. Now, many people who heard that misunderstood it. When Jesus said, you're to eat my body and drink my blood, immediately they were thinking, physically, how do we do that? How are we going to eat Jesus' body and drink his blood? They had a hard time dealing with understanding what that meant. In fact, go to John chapter 6, look at verse 52. This is the, the religious leaders of the Jews who are there hearing that. And in verse 52, it says this, The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they're thinking in cannibalistic terms. How is it that we're going to literally eat the flesh of this man, Jesus? So these religious teachers were, were picturing some form of, of a literal eating him, and that's not what Jesus was teaching at all. If you look at chapter 6, verse 63, at the end of that verse, Jesus says, The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. In other words, there's a spiritual meaning for what I'm telling you, not this literal meaning of actually eating my body and drinking my blood. I want you to understand what I'm saying, but there's a spiritual meaning to it, and I don't want you to miss it. What Jesus is saying is this. I'm not telling you to literally eat my body or drink my blood. Remember, this is long before the Lord's Supper had been established, so it has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper at this particular point in the Gospel of John. But rather what Jesus is saying is this, you need to hear my words and you need to take me into your life as your Savior. What he's doing is balancing two things that's happened in these people's lives. The day before they had literally taken in the physical food of fish and bread. They had taken that into their body. They had eaten physical food that Jesus provided for them. This next day Jesus is saying, I have a spiritual food and you need to take that into yourself. You need to internalize that into your bodies. But many people listening at the synagogue here, including these religious leaders, just refuse to hear the spiritual side of what Jesus was actually saying. 
We're not talking about eating his body, drinking his blood. We're talking about taking him in as our Savior to our heart. Just as you took in physical food yesterday to your stomach, I'm asking you to take me into your life as your Savior, as your God. But many people just couldn't hear that. All they could think about was the literal side of what Jesus said. And here's the sad outcome. On this day in Capernaum, as many people listened to him at this synagogue there, many of them left him. Many of them walked away from him. Many of them rejected hearing him anymore. So as we go to John chapter 6, we're going to look at the ending of this chapter and how it concludes. Let's start with this. Go to verses 53 and 54. Here are the words that people got hung up on. John chapter 6, verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, well, of course, you remember those are red flag words, meaning what I'm going to say to you is very important. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So today's scripture now is going to describe the reaction of the people who hear those words. So let's look at verses 60 through 71. John chapter 6, go to verse 60. Hear these words from the gospel writer. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So Jesus here is teaching the difference between physical bread and eternal bread. There's a huge difference there. If you look back at verse 60, it says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying, and who can hear it? Well, let me, let me set the stage here just a bit as we get to the end of this very involved chapter that has lots of moving parts to it. Many disciples who were listening to Jesus' words. Well, the word disciple in Greek 
is the word mathetes, and it means a follower or a learner. So this was not just the crowd of the 12 men who walked with Jesus in ministry. The disciples are far beyond in number just the 12. Rather, all of these people were gathered at the synagogue in Capernaum to hear Jesus teach. Many people were there, a large gathering. Some of the people who were there indeed were believers in the Lord Jesus, had accepted him as Savior. Some of the people who were there at this synagogue were right on the tipping point of allowing him to be their Savior. They were leaning into him, hearing his words, being drawn to him, just ready to accept him. There were some who were gathered in this crowd at the synagogue, and and many of them were listening to Jesus, but they hadn't made a decision yet. They were still on the line, am I going to uh, accept him or reject him? So they were on that decision line. And then there were some who were in this crowd at the synagogue, like the the religious leaders, and they opposed him completely. In fact, these religious leaders were trying to put together a plan to kill him, to get him off the face of the earth, to rid him and his teaching. So this gathering had all kinds of people in it. And many of this crowd, hearing Jesus teach about eating his body and drinking his blood, they said, he's teaching a hard saying here. Well, in Greek, what that means, they were saying, his teaching is hard to tolerate. His teaching is hard to take in. Some of your translations say, his teaching is hard to understand. What does he mean to eat his body and drink his blood? So they were still stuck in that and trying to understand what Jesus said. So Jesus asked the crowd at the synagogue two questions. I want you to look at verses 61 and 62. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? So Jesus said, Has my teaching about being the bread of life, does it offend you? Can't you understand what I'm saying to you? That I want to be your Savior that I want you to take me into your life. Just as you take in physical food, you need to take me in as the Savior into your heart so that I can live in you, be with you, walk with you day by day. He's trying to explain all of that. He also says, would you be unbelieving if you were to see me rise back to glory where I came from, rise back to my, my, my robes of authority, And godliness, would you be unbelieving if you see me to rise again? And of course, you know the day comes when he does go back to heaven. But he's asking, will you be offended or will you be believing? I want you to believe. I want you to know me as your Savior. And so as Jesus is is talking to them, asking them about accepting him as the bread of life, in verse 63, Jesus says, I'm not teaching you to eat my flesh. He said, that wouldn't profit anything. I want you to know me in spirit. I want you to to live. The word in the King James Version is quickeneth. I want you to live. I want you to be raised from the death of sin and to be forgiven and to live with me for all eternity and allow me to live in your heart. You need to take me in as your Savior. But Jesus knew in his own heart that many in that large crowd were rejecting him. They wouldn't hear his word of invitation. 
They would not accept him as Lord and Savior. They refused to believe him. They refused the word. Look at verse 65, 665. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. What Jesus is saying is this. Listen carefully. He's saying whenever a lost person hears an invitation to Jesus Christ, God the Father uses that invitation and begins drawing that person in. Begins wooing that person to Christ as Lord and Savior. Begins pulling that soul to know Jesus as Savior. Listen, if you're not saved today, if you're listening by streaming or you're here in this sanctuary and you've never come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when an invitation is given saying Jesus died on the cross for you, Jesus rose from the grave to promise you eternal life, He wants to live in you, He wants to be your Savior, He wants to be your friend, and you've never been saved before, and you begin saying, I feel a a pull to know Jesus as my Savior. That's not just your mind at work. There's a divine act happening in you. According to this verse, God Almighty is drawing you. God is pulling you. God is asking you to lean in to the Savior. But there's something I want you to know today. God Almighty will draw you to Jesus as Savior, but he will not drag you to Jesus as Savior. It comes down to your personal decision to accept and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He will draw you, but he will not drag you. It is your decision, and you have to decide to allow Jesus into your life, to open the door of your heart, to open the door of your your life, that he can come in and live in you and with you. It comes down to a personal decision when you hear that invitation to Jesus as Savior. And now, the Savior, God Almighty, is ministering to all of this crowd at the synagogue on that day, asking to be their Savior, asking to open their hearts and their lives to the bread of life. I read you today one of the most sad verses in all of the Bible. Uh, It's amazing to me as I read through this that it actually is John 6, 66. Well, you know 666 is not a good number in the Bible. And this is really not a good verse in the Bible. Look at John 6, 66. When all of these people at the synagogue at Capernaum heard Jesus speak, here's what happens. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Isn't that a sad verse? Many of those who followed Jesus to Capernaum walked away. Now, as Jesus stood looking at that multitude, maybe from the edges outward, people started to walk away. People started to leave this session of teaching. People started to leave the invitation to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Many walk away. The Greek word here for many is poloi, and it means a great, great number, maybe the majority Of all of those people gathered at the synagogue listening to Jesus teach, perhaps the majority of them walked away, not wanting to hear his word of invitation. So as God Almighty stands on earth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stands on earth giving an invitation to the bread of life, most of the crowd left him. 
walked away, rejected him. They walked back into a hopeless, lost life of sin. And Scripture says they walked no more with him. In Greek, you know what that means? They never came back. They walked away, and they never returned. They never gave it a second thought. They never gave it a second chance. They never came back to hear Jesus once again. But rather, what the Greek language says is they walked away permanently, never to return again. So as Jesus looks at this crowd at the synagogue at Capernaum, it's getting smaller and smaller as people walk away from him as Savior. The multitudes are turning into a very, very small group as they walk away permanently rejecting him. And Jesus turns to his 12 men, to the 12 disciples who had followed him in ministry. And he says, well, men, are you going to leave me too? You know, I believe that this moment is one of the deepest moments of discouragement for our Savior. When he sees that multitude walking away, never to come back. When he looks at his own 12 chosen men saying, Well, gentlemen, all the rest of the crowd is walking away. Are you going to walk away too? And I believe this was a a moment of great discouragement for the Savior. But the old rock, Peter, stands up. And he makes this magnificent statement on behalf of all those 12 disciples. Maybe he gestures saying, Lord, these are not just my words. These words encompass all of the men who have been following you as disciples. Look at chapter 6, verse 69. Here's Peter's great statement. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. Now, that's an awesome statement of faith. And Peter makes it on behalf of all the other 11 who are standing with him. But he does make one major mistake he doesn't know about. He speaks to represent all the other 11 disciples, but Jesus knows among those 11, there's one lost man. There's one man who's been walking with him as a disciple in ministry And he's never come to him as Savior. He's a very lost man. Look at verses 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Judas Iscariot was not just an innocently lost man who was walking with Jesus and had not come to him as Savior. He was more than that. The presence of Judas Iscariot represented the plan of Satan in the midst of the disciples. He was planted there by Satan as Jesus' very betrayer. And that fact was known by Jesus. I believe that Jesus knew that fact from the moment that Judas Iscariot began walking with the disciples. Jesus knew his betrayer was walking by his side. And I also believe that we see in this passage one of the deepest moments of discouragement, and I want to read you a passage that ties that to us. Look at Hebrews, or write this reference down, Hebrews 4, 
verse 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let me ask you this, ladies and gentlemen. Has any one of us in this room never been discouraged? Discouragement is a very human emotion. And discouragement comes into our life at times. You know, for the life of the church, this COVID season has been a very discouraging season for the life of the church. And yet, I have such great hope when I know that we're weathering this storm and we're going to come through it on the other side and we're going to come through it praising Jesus Christ. Amen? We will be the church and we will survive this season, but it has been discouraging since March to see what has happened in the life of the church. And yet I believe that while we may have experienced some discouragement through streaming and other areas, I believe that God is growing the borders of our church and the outreach of our church. I believe when we're through this thing that we're going to see blessing upon blessing upon blessing even when we were in the midst of discouragement. God's going to bless us. God is going to carry us through. But Jesus was discouraged here like we all get discouraged. Well, let me ask you this. Jesus was discouraged 2,000 years ago in this passage. Does he go through discouragement today? I believe every time a baby is removed from the mother's womb, Jesus is discouraged. I believe that when children are denied Bibles and prayer, Jesus is discouraged. I believe that when church attendance has been challenged like it has been, Jesus is discouraged, but Jesus is going to carry us through. And I believe that when our country strives to remove his name and his word from every area of leadership of our country, Jesus is discouraged. You remember in Luke chapter 19, as Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem, he looks over that lost city, and he literally sheds tears for the lost of Jerusalem. And I believe to this day, he sheds tears over the lost of this world. His character has not changed. His heart is that every soul come to him as Savior. But I want to say this as I come to the end of the sermon. In this passage, there is one bright, shining hope, and we cannot miss what it says. Peter stands up and says, Lord, you are the Savior. Where else will we go? And we want to follow you. Lord, your disciples are saying, we will not leave you. We will not be distracted away from you as our Lord and our Savior and our God. We will stand firm with you. Whatever the world brings, Peter says, we're going to stay with you and we're going to follow you. And I believe that's our call today. We are to follow him even when the days get discouraging. When sometimes things come down the pike that we don't always like or, or brings a sacrifice, the Lord says, follow me. Stay true with me. Well, of course, in this week of Thanksgiving, there's so much for us to indeed be thankful for. Let me read you just a little portion of George Washington's proclamation of 1789 about the original Thanksgiving. 
It was backed up by Abraham Lincoln some years later, but this is the way Thanksgiving began. George Washington wrote, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, and to be grateful for His benefits. If there's one true meaning of thanksgiving as we celebrate it this week, it is, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for providing everything I have. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my blessings. Thank you for the strength to make it through the hard days and the blessings of the days of joy. Of everything I have, Lord, I am thankful to belong to you. And I'm thankful to follow you. Thank you, Father, for your constant provision to me. The true hope for our country and the true hope for our families and for our church is when people will stand up and say, Lord Jesus, no matter what the world might bring, I will follow you. And that's our call today, brothers and sisters. That's our call as individual Christians. And that's our call as the church body is that we are willing to be bold enough to stand up to say, Lord, no matter what the world might bring, no matter what thought might come down the pike, no matter what law might come along, we will be faithful to you. That's our call. And that's what Jesus would ask of us, that we not leave him. Just as Peter said, we will not leave you, Lord, because you're the Son of God and the Savior. Will you be one? Will I be one? And will this church stand up that we will be one church that says, Lord Jesus, we will not leave you. Nothing will take us away from you. Our commitment is to you and to you alone, and we follow you. What we need to understand is church is not a game. Church is not a social gathering. This is the gathering of the sealed servants of Almighty God. And he's asking us never to turn back. So it's not a hypothetical question. I'm asking you and me today, will we take that stand from this moment forward to stand for Jesus Christ, following him no matter what might come? It's a serious question. It was posed in John 6, and it continues to be posed this day that we stand up and say, yes, Lord. I will follow you. How many of us will make that commitment today? Maybe at this altar, at the altar of your heart. I especially pray for our young people to make that decision today. You're our future leaders, and the church needs to stand on that strong foundation that our leadership coming along has made that decision. I will follow Jesus no matter what this world might bring. But every single one of us need to take that stand As I conclude the sermon, let me say this. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's asking you to receive him as the eternal bread of life. The lunch that we receive today, the big Thanksgiving meal that's coming this Thursday, will sustain our lives temporarily. But the bread of life, Jesus living in our heart, receiving him as Lord and Savior, saying, Lord Jesus, I know you died for me on the old rugged cross. You shed your blood that I might be forgiven of sin. And you rose from the grave that I might have eternal life. I open my heart that you will come in and live in me to be my Savior. If you've never done that, 
He truly is waiting on you. He wants to be Lord and Savior. And I want you to understand this. This decision is on the dividing line of life and death. And if you've never received him, he wants to give you life, eternal life, that he will always, always be with you. It's your invitation, and he's waiting for you to receive it today. If you're streaming with us, receive him today. Wherever you are, in a car, in a living room, wherever you might be, just say, Lord Jesus, yes, I need you as my bread of life. I open my heart and my life to you to be my Savior. Wherever you are, this is a moment that can change not just your life, but your eternity. If you need him, you come. Brothers and sisters, will we accept the challenge today that no matter what, we continue to follow we continue to be witnesses, and we continue to represent Jesus Christ in this world. Church home, whatever you need, he meets us in this moment. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, I thank you for these moments of worship before you, Lord. I can say that the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John has been challenging to study, and yet, Father, also it has opened my eyes in many ways to the commitment that I am to have before you. Some of us, Lord, see what we're going through in this time, in this day, in this age, in our world as sacrifice. Yes, it's somewhat of a sacrifice to wear a mask. I don't like the thing. Fogs up my glasses. Can't see my brothers and sisters speaking. But beside the cross, it is such a minor, tiny, little sacrifice to protect the safety of my neighbor. I will gladly do what you ask me to do to preserve life and health of my brothers and sisters and the world outside these doors as well. Father, I pray today that we who are believers will say, Lord, whatever the sacrifice might be, small or big, I will follow you. That is my commitment to you this day. My life is yours, and I will always stand for you. Whatever the world might bring, I will stand for you what Jesus asked of his disciples 2,000 years ago and today. If there's one here, Lord, who needs you, I pray he will or she will know that you are the bread of life and you will give life everlasting, eternal when they simply say yes to you. Come into my heart as Lord and Savior. Father, bless us in our moment of need, whatever it be. Touch us, we pray. And we thank you for this moment of decision in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.